Well, welcome. Happy Sunday to everybody. I'm so glad that you're here. Also, you guys online too, glad that you're here with us. And we're kind of in the middle of summertime now. I hope you got your summer on. We had a a wonderful, fantastic um, dinner party last night, the first of two that we're having this summer, just as kind of get together for people in the church and I had a large crowd people hung out for a long time and we had lots of ice cream and food and things so you should definitely if you didn't join us for that one join us for the next one it's going to be on August 20th um at uh, the Giffen's home, and we'll have more information about that for you to sign up for that. Once again, it's, it's about being church, being church together, and that's what we like to do here at Table Life Church as well as we like to eat. Um, that's always a favorite pastime. So, um, so today, we're in a sermon series that we're doing for the rest of this summer into the parables of Jesus, called a story time. You could probably recognize that logo. Uh, favorite Toy Story um, logo there. And we're talking about how, uh, first of all, like stories pervade our lives, right? And we like to share stories. We like to read them. We like to pay money to go to the movies to see them or stream them from home. But the best stories, the best stories that we hear tend to be the ones, I think, that allow us to enter into it. When you kind of like lose yourself in the midst of this story because you identify with maybe a character or someone in that story. You can almost feel what they're going through. Maybe you have a similar situation or you kind of see a similar personality type. So I want to ask you, has a story ever drawn you in because you could relate to one of the characters? Has a story ever drawn you in because you could relate to one of the characters? And I would dare say that most of us would probably say yes, even if on the tip of your tongue you can't come up with the name of that movie or that book or whatever it may be. Well, I wanna—I thought I'd share with you just to kind of piggyback off this thought. Um, one of my favorite stories, a story that came out, believe it or not, 28 years ago, the original. 2019, there was a second version of it, but 28 years ago, The Lion King debuted in theaters. Have any Lion King fans? Gotta be good, yeah. And then the younger kids, they saw like the live action, or not the, I guess it wasn't live action, they were animated uh, lions and things. They came out just like a couple years ago. Um, but it's one of my favorite stories. I think I've watched that show like probably 30 times plus. Just love the songs over and over and over again. Circle of life, right? Can't wait to be king. Can you feel the love tonight? Such wonderful classics. But, but even though that these are animals, I think we can all kind of see pieces and parts of ourselves in them, right? Like you can kind of relate to, depending on maybe where you were when you first saw it or maybe where you are now, to different characters. And if you're not familiar with Lion King, I want you to first go ahead and watch that. But, um, but, but maybe like there was a part of, of uh, Simba that you related to. You know, you had dreams, but they came crashing down when you experienced loss and disappointment. Maybe you ran away from who you were supposed to be. Uh, maybe you're, you see yourself in Mufasa, wanting the best for your kids, and yet something tragic happens. Maybe, maybe you've been a little bit to Bone and Pumbaa, right? They're like the fun people. Yeah, we have some, some people over here. You know, the, the, the life is about fun, no responsibility. Maybe you had that kind of era in your life that you experienced, and you found kind of like the emptiness of that. Maybe you've even seen a little bit of scar in yourself, when you've been jealous of someone, someone who got what you wanted, what you thought that you deserved. 
But, but I think regardless of what movie it is, like I said, this is one of my favorites, uh, I usually it, it tells me that the writer or the writers really understand what it means to be human, what it means to go through all the things of life, even if they're kind of characterized as animals in a Disney show, right? <laughs> and stories do that. They, we find ourselves in them. That's how we connect with them. That's what makes the, the blockbuster. Uh, and we find ourselves in that, and, and I think the best storytellers know that. And one of them is Jesus. Jesus knew this. Jesus knew the power that stories have for us. Because I don't know about you, but it's easy for anybody to stand up and give a speech. Stand up and give information about a certain topic or a certain set of beliefs and kind of fill you in. Uh, and maybe you've been in a job where you've experienced what I call death by PowerPoint. Yeah, presentation after another, and by the end you're sitting like this and just cannot wait for it all to end. Death by meeting as well, right? But, but the thing is, the story, though, has a weight of changing our mind. It introduces that same information from the boring speech or the boring PowerPoint and introduces it in a totally different and yet significant way. And Jesus knew this. Jesus knew this, and the gospel writer Mark actually says that Jesus hardly spoke of anything without telling a story. He was one of the best storytellers there was. And so he introduced, though, in his stories, the ways that God sees the world. So we could get a better grasp, kind of handles, uh, parables were called almost like handles to get a grasp on how God sees the world. And they were these simple stories that Jesus used to share routinely misunderstood truths. They're simple, and it's necessary to be simple, because I, we talked about last week how we as humans tend to overcomplicate everything. And we miss the point, especially, especially when it comes to understanding God. And so these stories that Jesus was sharing over and over again share about the kingdom of God and give us a picture about what it looks like, what it feels like, what it tastes like, what it, it seems like. And the kingdom of God is defined as this reality where things are as God intended them to be. Not as they are right now, but as they are intended to be. And we get glimpses of that. We get to participate in that. And I, so I love the parables that Jesus tells for a number of reasons, not just because that they're nice stories, but they also call us to more. They call us to, to be more. They bring us to kind of a difficult point at the end of the parable, at the end of the story, to decide, first, who are we? But second, which direction should we choose to go? Kind of think critically and decide for ourselves. Well, the story that we're going to look at today is the story that's called the story of the laborers in the vineyard. And um, it's not preached on, I don't think, very, very much. We, maybe you've heard this before. Um, but, but before we get into the scripture, I want to kind of share a personal story to set the tone for the story that we're about to read from Matthew's Gospel. Well, when I was in college, I went to um, UNC Chapel Hill down North Carolina, and um, I had a close friend who I was a roommate with for a year, and her family lived in Charlotte. So one of the breaks that we had, I went home with her since it was too far to travel back to Philadelphia for. And so I spent a couple days with her, and part of our break trip, I think it was, I forget whether it was spring break or fall break, but... We went to uh, Carowinds. Carowinds. Anybody familiar? Carowinds. It's kind of the like King's Dominion. 
um, roller coasters, like amusement park type place, kind of like Hershey. And so we went there, and I don't know if we had any roller coaster fans, but you know, when you love roller coasters or don't at least mind them and getting on the like upside down going 100 miles an hour, five times upside down, um, and don't lose your lunch, it's a lot of fun, right? And you pay money to do it. And so we went um, this one day, and of course, I forget the name of the coaster, but it was like brand new. And of course, for any brand new roller coaster, when you go at the beginning of the season, there's going to be a line, right? There's going to be a line. There's always going to be a line. With the weave, you feel like a, like a mouse or a rat in a trap, and you go back and forth and back and forth. So there was a line for this roller coaster, so we were like standing there. You know, wasn't, the weather was pretty good and stuff. And I think we waited like an hour for this roller coaster. So we're like almost up to the front. And isn't there, there's these, these people, these two, this man and this woman who are in front of us. And um, all of a sudden, there comes this whole group of, like, preteen girls. And this whole group, like, they all, like, go underneath. They, like, duck underneath those, like, barrier things. And they're like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And they go in, and they get with the, this couple that was there. And apparently, they were part of, like, a dance team or something. And the couple was, like, saving their spots in line. And there were, like, 20 of them. And we're like standing there like, we've been here an hour, you know? And so they all kind of like, oh, thank you, sorry, sorry, you know, excuse me, that kind of thing. They all get in. It took like two more coasters to go through for them to get in. They didn't even wait in line, but yet they got in there and it was crazy. And I remember like sitting there with my friend, like, we're just like looking at each other like, this is happening, right? And they're letting this happen. This is, this is crazy. And so just like that feeling inside, you're like, this is not fair. Like, this shouldn't be happening. We waited here. You know, how would you react? How would you react? Maybe you've been in a similar situation. Would you tell them off? Like, would you say something? Maybe you're a say something person. Or would you kind of do what we did? We kind of grumbled underneath our breath, like, oh, I don't know, you know, should we, we don't want to be that person either, because here's these two, like, adults that are with them. And, and I think the answer to that depends on whether you're from, like, the north or the south, right? If you're from the north, like, you're probably more intended to, like, tell them off, right? And tell them what you think right away. If you're from the south, you say, bless your heart, right? <laughs> bless his heart. Bless her heart. Oh, bless her heart, right? And then underneath, you're like, like all that. Well, on the inside, I was raging. My friend was raging. You know, we got in there early enough. We waited a whole hour. We prioritized going to this coaster, and then this happens. And maybe you've had something similar. Maybe it was a roller coaster. Maybe it was another line that you stood in. And maybe you got so worked up, and you didn't even appreciate it anymore when you finally got to the front. Well, what do we do? How do we answer those situations in our lives? Well, that's the setting, that's the feeling that Matthew enters into when he shares this story of Jesus. And Matthew tells us this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever's right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and he did the same thing about five in the afternoon. He went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, 
Why have you been standing here all day long and doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go out and work in my vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and then going on to the first. The workers who were hired at five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last will work for an hour, they said. You've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. It was 90 out today. Come on now. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for Denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. So hold you on that for a second. That feeling, the roller coaster then translated to that feeling, the stuck in line, the being butted in front of, to all of a sudden this unfair working situation. What does this all mean? What is Jesus illustrating here? Well, I want to look at, I'm going to focus on three fresh takes about God's kingdom that this parable, I think, brings up. The first is that when it comes to the kingdom of God, it's about reception, not qualification. It's about receiving, not qualifying. And so we have to think in a reality where all things are as God intends, learning to receive is most important. And, and I think for a lot of us, it's hard to receive. It's hard to receive help from someone. It's hard to ask for help. It's hard to receive grace. It's hard to receive love. It's hard. It's a hard thing. And it's hard to receive those things because often we feel unqualified or we feel unworthy or we feel like, oh, we deserve that. We deserve that punishment. Or we don't acknowledge our need in the first place. And so what happens? We get used to this mentality of earning our way, of doing enough good things to kind of balance off the bad things. And so we can have a hard time comprehending the idea that God's love is not something to be earned. It's not like before you know, knew Jesus, God hated you, and then all of a sudden now you know Jesus and he loves you. No, he's loved you the whole way along. And so in the story, the landowner the lender, you have to admit, has a horrible recruitment approach. Absolutely horrible. Anybody that's worked in HR knows this, right? He's either extremely generous or he's just the worst manager that there could be. And so he goes out these multiple times during the day. You know, he goes out noon again and 3 p.m. He goes out 5 p.m., like the end of the workday. And he, the guys that are still left there, he goes up and asks them, well, what are you doing? And what's their response? Nothing, right? Kind of like your teenage self, right? What are you doing, mom? Nothing, right? Nothing. You're doing nothing. You're doing nothing. And the landowner, what does he say to them? Oh, you sound perfect for this job, right? Who does that? That's absolutely insane. I mean, even now, right? Things are tight for people hiring people. Maybe you're working in a company that's having difficulty hiring people. 
But Burger King has a screening process for hiring people, right? And somebody that's standing there that hasn't worked all day and then is standing there and is, is just hanging out, like, are, are you sure that you want to bring them on your staff? Well, this guy doesn't really seem to care. He doesn't seem to care. You know, these are probably bad workers. They probably had some reputation for why nobody else had hired them in the first place. And yet the landowner, his response is like, eh, it'll be good, right? It's going to be good. Just come on out, guys. And yet the look, and we look back at the scripture and we see, well, where did he find them? He found them in the middle of the marketplace, the middle of the marketplace, which is kind of symbolic. It's symbolic because it's the place of what we know as worldly expectations, a place where we know that we have to qualify in order to participate, right? That's rampant today. I mean, if you want to get a credit card, you have to qualify for it, right? If you want to buy a home, oh, good luck with that, then you, you better qualify for that. Even our tra- like kids on travel teams, right? Like I know several parents, several friends of mine that, that have kids that are like, like trying to like try out for multiple teams and get up to the single A rank from the triple A or whatever they, they do. You have to qualify. And dare I say, maybe you've even attended a church where you had to like qualify in order to participate. It seems so foreign to us when we look around at the world. It seems so foreign to receive a gift that we've done nothing to earn. But it's like a landowner. God is like a landowner on a hiring spree. The only thing that we have to do is to accept the invitation. Accept the invitation. And just that other thing, when he goes out multiple times, right, the 5 p.m., like, why would you do that? Wouldn't you just wait until the next day? Like, I think it also shows us it's never too late. It's never too late, even at the end of the day. See, right here, Jesus is dropping the idea that the kingdom of heaven is much different than the kingdom of the world. See, God is offering a free gift of love that's meant to be received, as hard as that is. And that God will never require anyone to qualify, to have a checklist of things you have to do in order to be included in that. And it's never too late to join. Let me say that again. It's never too late to join. I think sometimes when when some of us are in our upper years, right, we think like, oh, well, I've just lived my life too much. Maybe you have parents like this, grandparents like this, maybe you yourself or you have a friend. Like, it's just too late. Like, I haven't gone to church and I haven't been a good person. I've just like messed up too long in my life. Well, Jesus is saying right here, it's never too late. It's never too late to join. Even if you're in the fourth quarter of life, you are invited You're intentionally invited, and Jesus wants you to be part of that group. But it doesn't stop there. I think the second thing that Jesus points out here is that the kingdom of heaven is about realization, not accumulation. It's about receiving, but it's also about realizing, not accumulating. So we're told in verse 2, the going rate of that time for the day's work was a denarius. And this is a picture of what that looked like. It was this coin. It was a coin that, hey, that's a day's work, and this was agreed upon terms in a lot of situations. And so those hired later, so the first ones that were hired, they were told, you're going to get paid a denarius. And what were they paid? A denarius. Like, he kept his work. Those hired later, the the landowner says, I'm going to pay you whatever is right. It's interesting, the change in language. He says, whatever is right. So they don't go in with the expectation that they're getting a denarius, but when the end of the day comes, the landowner 
First, he tells him to, to his foreman, he says to his foreman, hey, bring everybody in, but what I want you to do is to pay the late crew first. Why? Hmm, right? Why? Why would he say pay the late crew first? Because they were the last ones. Shouldn't they be the ones that should get like paid last? I think it was intentional because he wanted the early crew to watch what was going to happen. He knew what he was doing. And so the late crew comes, the landowner pays them the denarius. Whatever is right, he pays them a denarius. And then what happens? The first crew sees it happen. They get paid their promised amount, the denarius, and then they start grumbling. They start grumbling. They say, well, they only worked an hour. We worked all day, 90 degrees, in the heat. We're tired. We're sweating. And we can understand why they feel bitter. We can understand. We can feel for them, right? So what's going on? Well, I think the reason Jesus tells this parable in this way is because he wants the listeners to realize that the landowner, God, always pays in full and only pays in full. Meaning, in the kingdom of heaven, there are no first-rate and second-rate citizens here. Everybody is equal. Nobody gets special treatment. Nobody. Like, whether you're the first to come in or the last, you know, and I think that's, like, we as the church embody that too. Like, hey, whether you've been here, like, your whole life in 50 years or whether you're new, like, we're all on an equal playing field. There's no special treatment. God always pays in full and only pays in full. And that comes with participation in, in his kingdom too, and it's every single time. The early crew thought that they would receive more because they had worked so much longer. But they have to realize, though, everything that they have is already theirs. Everything they have is a, is a gift anyway, and I think it's true for everyone. And Jesus, once again, he knows how the world works. He knew how the world works. Because in the world, we live in a world of rankings, don't we? There's rankings. Like, you know, you're, you're rated this, then you're a little bit lower. You know, if you don't believe me, check out a couple of these. Go ahead and hit that back. So Marvel, number one movie. Apparently the Avengers, they're ranked the highest. So anybody like see Thor, by the way? I think that just came out. Okay, a couple people here. Okay, anyway. So, um, but rankings, right? We rank movies. What else do we rank? We rank our Batman actor, who's the best, right? You have your own favorites, you know, certain people are above the others. I think we have another one. The eco-friendliest Disney princess. Believe it or not, there are rankings for that. Somebody has generated some numbers here for, I don't know how. There's rankings for everything. You know, maybe yourself, maybe you were participating in some kind of ranking thing. I remember when I was in high school and they did like the high school rankings, who's going to be valedictorian and all that stuff. Um, back then, you know, we didn't have like all the technology and email things. We got like, this, the technology was like a little slip of paper. Like you went to the office and you got like this slip of paper and everybody's like looking for slips of paper and asking what numbers. But we live in a world of rankings in everything. Jesus is intentionally showing the kingdom of God does not function the same way. There are no rankings that, that when you come to participate in his kingdom and follow him, you get paid at full at all times. And the landowner is generous. He supplies everything. That in church too, that is part of the church, we're no, there are no second-class citizens. 
There are no people that are more important than other. And, and I think that helps us realize that, that God's kingdom is kind of this equal playing field of a body, right? Doesn't Paul describe it like that? A body whose parts are, some are hidden, some are not, but they're all equally as important regardless of whether you can see them or not. So up to this point, Jesus is describing that, that this participation in his kingdom is a free gift that does not have qualification, that we always receive the fullness of God's love. And that includes his promise of eternity, of heaven, of course, that once again, in heaven, there are no rankings of people and citizens. But then he leaves us with this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is about participation, not anticipation. Participation, not anticipation. And so twice, twice, uh, Matthew tells us that, that Jesus is describing the people in the marketplace this way. In verse 3, that the landowner saw others standing in the marketplaces doing what? Nothing, right? About five in the afternoon, he went out and still found others standing around, right? Each time, Jesus is making it a point to say the workers are standing doing nothing, and so the landowner himself, get this, did you notice this? The landowner himself is the one who goes out to search for them. He had people he could have sent, but he himself is the one that goes out multiple times into the heat of the day to chase down and to invite people to join him. Think about that. Maybe in your own life, looking back, maybe there was a part that the landowner, God, he went out to go invite you. He went out of his way to go and tap you on the shoulder. Maybe you refused it the first time. Maybe you didn't. But we have a story of, it, of those experiences of God going out of his way to come to us. And the idea of the business day in this story, it really represents this idea of all of time. See, God isn't at work just someday in the future. And maybe some of us have grown up in a church that was more about the anticipation than the participation, right? You just couldn't wait for Jesus to come again, right? Just take me away, Lord, take me away. Let's just hunker down and get out of this place and this mess. And, and so Jesus is showing something different here to say that God's not work someday in the future, we're participating with him right now. We're invited him to be a part of his kingdom right here and right now. The work that God wants to do has already begun. Isn't that exciting, right? And the good news is you can't hire too many people. There are never too many to participate in the kingdom. The work of the vineyard is important now. We don't just, we're not just here marking time for heaven, just waiting until Jesus comes, but we actually get to participate in his kingdom now. Which begs the question then, what does that participation look like? Well, I think that's the best part of the parable. Because where are they working specifically? The vineyard. The vineyard. And what's grown in a vineyard? Grapes, right? Grapes. And what are grapes used for? And even if you're a good old Nazarene, you can still say this. Wine, right? And where was wine used, especially at Jesus' time? At parties, dinner parties, around the table. Think about that. Around the table. That's what the kingdom of God is like. You're invited to participate, not in a stuffy church experience that, hey, you just go and show up or maybe you pray every now and then, but you're invited to participate in the kingdom of God as a party, 
It's a party. It's a good party to be a part of and to invite others into and to give hope, to share that, hey, you know, what you see in front of you, this isn't all there is. And there is truth. There is love. There is kindness. There is respect. There, are, there is fruit that God wants to do into and through you. Don't you want to be a part of that? A bigger purpose. And this is a happy thing to do. That's what the kingdom of God is like. And the point is to be a part of the party now, to receive it, to realize it, and to participate in it. And don't things, to all my gardener friends, don't things taste better when you've grown them and when you've made them and when you've gifted them, right? That you don't have to work hard to please God, to to be accepted You don't have to work hard to please God or wait around for when we die to participate in the kingdom. The hope is that you'll participate and prepare the party for the next person who needs it. See, the world needs a new story, I believe. Maybe you would agree. The world needs a new story, a story and a purpose to be invited into. And that we're invited to taste a new reality where things are as God intends. Maybe not all of it, but maybe a part of it. And maybe it starts with you. To participate in it and to invite others to join in it. And think about it. In my story, you know, I spent so much time, I remember that, after that hour of waiting um, and then having these people cut in line in front of us, I spent all that time fuming about what was happening and about how unfair it was. And what did I miss? I missed the joy. I missed the joy of the roller coaster. So maybe the kingdom of God is like a roller coaster line. Something to wait in, to be a part of, but also to invite others to share with you. And maybe... You need to see the ride you're on right now as a part of what God is doing in the world around you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord, as people who are in need of your grace. And when we read your stories, we can't help but see ourselves as somebody in them. As somebody who looks around and and thinks that we deserve all that we have or that we don't have, that we look around and we're disappointed by what we see, or we look around and we're not sure that we even deserve anything, that we should do more, that we should participate in more, that we need to earn our way to be loved by you, God, And yet you're correcting that vision. You're showing us in these stories, in your story, Lord, how none of us qualify. None of us measure up. None of us deserve a relationship or to be right with you, God. But that you offer us a gift of grace. It's nothing that we deserve or could do to measure up for that, Lord, but that is a gift that we're invited to receive, Lord. Lord, help us to receive that grace in, in, for ourselves, Lord, that some of us have a hard time having grace for ourselves. Lord, some of us have a hard time receiving grace from anyone. But help us to be good recipients, Lord. 
to know that you're a God who invites us to be a part of a bigger story than we think, a bigger story than maybe we have planned, a bigger story that we thought that we had messed up. But yet, God, you're a God that even stands out in the heat of the day, five o'clock, the end of the day, and still is looking, looking for you, looking for me. And God, we come to this table today knowing that we are, in, we are sinners, that we're sinners in need of your grace. And it's by that and through that grace, Lord, that we're invited to participate in all that you're doing here and now in your kingdom. And we receive that. We receive your forgiveness, Lord, to know that we are loved, Lord, and that your working sometimes don't make sense. And it's hard to wrap our brains around and understand, Lord, but that the work that you did 2,000 years ago, Lord, on the cross and in the resurrection, Lord, shows that you're a God who keeps your promises. And for that, we rejoice. To know that this, this work that we begin in, in fulfilling your kingdom, it begins now, but it extends into eternity, even past death. And for that, we celebrate, God. It's a party now, but man, is it going to be a party in heaven, Lord. And that, Lord, we come to you today as people who submit to you, submit all that we are, Lord, and we ask for your grace. And so we join in together the prayer that you call your disciples to pray. And we pray this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.